one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a Lit Yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask questions and I answer. And I am joined by my lovely co-host and physical therapist, Lit Senior Teacher, Kristen Williams. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you, Laura. Hello, everybody. (laughs) We're going to launch right in. Our first question is by Honey Picks. Best way to increase holding time in Pincha. So Pincha is Pincha Mayuranasana, which is also known as forearm balance. Forearm balance is for many uh, a challenging pose. And so spending time holding there is the first thing we have to look at is like how we get into it, because I think that's the hardest part for people. For me, Forearm balance is quite easy, and I say that because it's there's ease in getting up. It doesn't mean it's an easy pose. There's ease in getting up for me because I have an openness in my back fascial line, meaning as I lean from my toes, the bottom foot, and push off the bottom toes a little bit, I don't have to push that much because I, I'm not. Res- there's nothing resisting me. That back line um, isn't resisting me leaning. So I lean into my scapula, into the back fascia, And then the core support from all sides helps me get up and stay up. So if the getting up is challenging for you, then the staying up will also probably be a little challenging because you are still not as much contending because once you've gotten yourself more stacked, there's less of that pull in the back fascia, but it still is present and might be pulling you there, might be trying to arch your back. So the best thing is to work in dolphin a lot and really work on strengthening. But I'm going to turn it over to Kristen because I know she has a different experience in in, um, forearm balance. 
Absolutely. So I am the person that forearm balance is challenging for me. It's harder for me to do a forearm balance than a handstand. And what's and intuitively that doesn't make sense because you you have a bigger center or a bigger base of support on your forearms. So you would think this should be easier, but I am tighter in my hamstrings. I used to be a lot tighter in my back fascial line before, you know, doing yoga for a number of years with lit, but the getting up is hard for me because of that restriction of not being able to stack well, I have to, my desire is to push up into it or jump up into it. And that's scary. That's scary in a forearm balance. When a handstand, you can cartwheel out of. There's less fear. Forearms, you're really kind of, your glenohumeral joint is a bit more stuck because of that forearm being done. Stuck in that it's in a position that's harder to quickly get out of. So I have, I think, a fear factor, number one, that posterior line restriction. And then I'll be honest, as a physical therapist, I am so in tune with my hands that a lot of my handstand balancing comes from that and less so from my scapula. I am less in tune to my scapula. I should do more forearm balance. I should do it more often. I should get over that fear. But it's harder for me because I'm not as well practiced. So I would say, yes, dolphin is big. Dolphin, funky dolphin, where you're doing that forced use of the shoulder girdle will help build your strength. Whenever I get up into forearm balance, it is like a, ah, I'm so excited. And it's usually at the end of a class after I'm really open and prepared, I can get up. And then I agree with you, once you're up, the the holding it, it's it's all scapula, and it's um, that it takes my hands out of the equation. So that is my, I need to do it more often, and and that's the other thing I will say to answer you, Honey, you got to do it more often. The only way to get better at anything, hold it longer, is to do it more often, and that comes from handstand, forearm balance. You can't do it once a week. You can't do it three times a week. You almost have to do it. I would argue every single day to really increase your endurance, your muscular endurance, and then also your brain map. Yeah, I love it. And that's why we do dolphin in every class because dolphin, um, if you did down dog every day, wonderful, but it's not gonna get you into the scapula stabilizers like dolphin. Once your forearms go down and you have that shortened lever arm, it puts more demand on the core muscles, so the proximal muscles. It doesn't mean like, you could say down dog, you're working your arms. Sure, you're working your shoulders, but not to the same degree that you are when you lower that forearm and you shorten the lever arm. It's just like plank versus forearm plank. They both are hard, but forearm plank is way harder for people because it there it's kind of like all the truth is revealed. <laughs> you know, you can't you have you have to really uh, employ all the muscles around the scapula and the rib cage, the, the core muscles there, because you don't have any of the arm. Uh, I mean, you, it's not like you don't have any of them, but you you don't have the triceps helping you out. Um, you have to go into the the more the scapula stabilizers and and, and the and the anterior core. Your muscles that we identify as you know abdominal muscles are really going to turn on in a different way when you shorten the lever. Yeah. Absolutely. So hard, but so good. So good. So that's the answer. Best way to increase it is a work on dolphin and all that good stuff daily. Okay. So Jenny from the Bullock 
asks, when stepping forward from plank and keeping the hands planted, do I step between or behind the hands? Do you want to go and do you want to hit me with that one, sister? Yeah, sure. Uh, That too, you know, that's a great question. I, I think we are big proponents of there is no wrong or right way to do something. It's going to vary. Um, if you're able to step between the hands, great. But you know, maybe you don't have the hip flexion mobility. Maybe you need to use blocks to get up there. Uh, if you can't step behind, drop the knee, help it forward. You know, that's kind of my, my, my answer to a lot of things is there is no one right way. And don't think of using blocks or any modification as being anything other than moving for your own body uh, because some everybody's different. You might be someone with a shorter leg and a longer torso. So it's maybe easier for you or maybe harder because you need more hip flexion. Uh, or if you've got really long legs, there's just no space for you there or big boobs. Big mm. boobs are another thing, you know? Uh, <laughs> Hallelujah. Not having that, but yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's, that's my answer. I'm, you know, what do you say, Laura? I would say the exact same thing, which is what we really promote. And that is that there is no right wrong, right or wrong answer because everybody is at a different place. What we're trying to go for is, can you keep your hands planted, use true hip flexion, and keep it a long, long lengthened spine? And that's going to that's gonna be different for everybody. There will be a minimal amount of flexion involved in the spine, perhaps, but it's, you know, some, a lot of people are not going to be able to get their feet between the hands. And that's why we don't cue, bring your feet to your hands or, you know, we just say step forward. <laughs> and so there's a reason we want you to step well, but it's going to show, it is going to be different. If you have a ton of restriction in your back and, but we want to keep that core engagement with the hands planted, you're not going to get your feet between your hands most likely. And that's fine. But what you, what you are going to get is a lot of core engagement and a lot of reinforcement of a, of a long neutral spine with mobility in the hips, which is very consistent with the movement patterns that we do want to promote. So I think, yeah, what, what Kristen said, use blocks and also be fine with bringing your feet as far forward as they can, which might not be anywhere near between your hands. All right, Natasha in the fifth, I love all these names. Natasha in the fifth asks, um, how do you keep up to date on the latest research uh, regarding movement? and we, t- we talk about this a lot. So I'll t- talk a little bit first on this and then um, Kristen can pitch in. But you know, we've gone to a physical therapy conference together. Those are really great because it's, it's three days and, and all these different PTs are coming in and they've gathered all the information. They've done all the analyzing and, and put it together in a way that is meaningful and interesting and usually functional. And that's, that's the best way I think to learn is like, see what, see what's going on, see what the kind of latest stuff is. And some of it, um, really resonates and some of it doesn't. And I also, I, I was telling Kristen, you know, like I, I turn to my brother the most, my brother is kind of like a savant in this stuff. Like if I have a question, literally, I just, am like, so what do you think about this? And he, you know, two hours later, (laughs) Because he does a lot of the reading and he doesn't just do research from PT or biomechanics, but he does it from a lot of different um, sources. And he also knows the particular sources that he likes and that he really trusts. And I think that's a huge thing too, is that if you like somebody that's been in it a long time, we always talk about John and I both 
are very dedicated devotees of Shirley Sarman. I mean, she was speaking of functional movement and biomechanics and patterns of movement uh, for compensatory strategies decades ago. And it what she said then, I mean, I'm talking like 50 years ago, has really not changed because she was so spot on. So I think that it's like really, it's always fascinating to see what is kind of current, but there are just sources that have been there for a long time. And they were kind of, they were, they were so, you know, the body hasn't changed. (laughs) It's just what we've studied, what we've been curious to study. And that's the other thing is research is not keeping up with what we know intuitively. It is following and trying to give data to what some of us who happened in the practice a long time kind of know intuitively. So I think it's a balance of really um, going to sources that you really trust and not needing to like always look at all the current research because some of it is relevant and some of it is not. Some of it's just like observing a very small pool of people and in very like different environment that would be relevant to a, a huge population. But that's all I'll say about that. KB, what do you think? No, hundred percent. You know, I definitely, I, I have some sources that push emails to me that I'll, it's like once a week, I'll kind of fish through them and some of it's good, some of it's bad. I'll be the first person to admit like statistics and some of those numbers, my mind starts to go, Ooh, you know, it's just, it's, that's yeah. not my language. Um, so, but a lot of it is, yes, who am I talking to? Uh, who am I, you know, where am I going? What have I learned? You know, I mean, the bottom line is research is just that it is biased. Uh, you have to be, have a very thoughtful eye when you're looking for it. We have so much of it. I Google, I still Google all the time. I Google stuff and it, I'm, you know, paging and paging through if, if someone has a question and, and, and I can honestly say, I do not know the answer, but you know what? I'll be darn, I'm going to find it out for you. So it's a, it's a regular study of admitting what you don't know asking people who might know, and then doing research on your own, um, research by way of, you know, looking through like your brother has his favorite sources, and then just talking to people with experience. I mean, a lot can be said for someone who's been in a clinic or in a clinical type mindset slash setting for 20 years versus someone who just got out. I mean, I came out of PT school. I had just learned the most, the latest and greatest, but I felt like I knew nothing. And so I went to the people I worked with and asked their opinion and what worked for them. And, you know, and so that for the people in the, in the regular world who aren't physical therapists, it's, it's going to your friends who are PTs. I get people asking me questions all the time. I love to educate people. I think that's what, that's why we're yoga teachers. We love to teach. So the latest and greatest research I'm always keeping in mind that research is biased and I got to keep myself, you know, like you said, the intuition. I've been doing stuff intuitively for years that all of a sudden just now got proven by research. So it's a, it's a mixed bag, but uh, you know, your best bet, yeah, is to just uh, look multiple places and talk to a lot of people. Absolutely. I mean, things have changed in our career wise. You know, we've talked about when somebody, tore a knee meniscus, for instance, when I was in graduate school and afterwards, they almost always removed the meniscus. I mean, that was just kind of like, you just meniscectomy, you just took it out. And, and then they realized like, oops, 
not a good idea. <laughs> like way better to just trim it and leave as much as possible in there because it doesn't regenerate. That meniscus is really important for, for good mechanics, healthy mechanics. Um, and so even it, you know, in all parts of the uh, body world and a physical and in, internal body as well, they're, we're always learning and, and learning from things that don't work. Some things I think don't change though, you know, and that is that we are, um, we have a really amazing engineered body that is way more sustainable than we think. Um, but we do need to take care of it. And there's things we have, we should be doing to just maintain it. It can take a lot of crap. (laughs) Well, and I think that we're finally to the point where we're appreciating that, where, uh, it wasn't that many years ago when someone would hurt their back and they would prescribe lying supine for six weeks, not moving. Yeah. Now we know. Move, move. Why? Yeah. Because our body, it, it wants to heal itself. So yeah. my job is like, I, I call myself a gardener. I am preparing the soil for your body to grow and heal. I'm not doing the work. Your body is doing the work. But we need to do the work for our body to do the work. So, you know, yes. I guess that's that's... It's really empowering to actually, and, and, you know, I was just talking to somebody uh, two days ago, a private, and she was in such despair about this pain that she was having. She's like, is this going to get better? And I was like, yes, it's going to get better. You're going to be fine. You're going to, the next day she wrote me, she's like, oh my gosh, I feel, I mean, we did a few things, but you know, some of it is like, I told her like, you're going to be better. You're going to be fine. Like, this is fine. You're going to, she's like, oh my God, some people have told me this you know, this takes years. And I'm like, no, you're going to be fine. And literally the next day she texted, like, I'm so feeling so much better. I don't think I, I, this was a Zoom PT, you know, a session. I don't think I did anything on it. I, I showed her a few moves to do that would probably help. But ultimately what I did is I may, I'm, I just reminded her that she's going to be, that she's, that her body's healthy. It's, it's going to, it, it wants to find that, state of, you know, equilibrium and balance and, and the mental mind, the mindset is huge. It's huge. It's huge. All right. We could go on. And that's why placebo effect is huge. You know, there's tons of research on placebo effect. We don't need to research it anymore. We know how, how impactful it is. Okay. Um, tea, chi, we, advice for indoor cyclists. So I think probably advice for like how to that was the that was the extent of it, but I think that's probably advice for maybe keep being balanced and and all that. What would you say? Um, I, I think advice for indoor cyclists is probably pretty similar to advice for outdoor cyclists, and that is, you know, when you think about cycling, the, think about the position you're in. Cyclists also are in that position for a long time. It's like long distance runners. Actually, cycling is probably cycling, rowing these these long seated, forward, folded, slat-ish postures, um, you just, you need to, you need to back that up with other planes of motion. You know, if you're, you need to uh, cross-train and yoga, so we have, we have so many cyclists in our yoga classes and it has made their cycling better. They may actually makes their body feel better. They feel better as people, but it has helped their cycling as well, just because it moves in other patterns. I mean, cycling, it is 100% vaginal plane, flip, hips flexed, uh, spine flexed, elbows flexed, 
some, you know, most of the time, uh, ankles, dorsiflexion, you know, they, they don't get any of that hip glute posterior line engagement, um, back body stuff. So my recommendation for any type of cyclist is and with any, really any unisport person is, you know, cross train, get some other stuff and yoga, lit yoga, my opinion, of course, yeah. is, you know, your best bet because we're going to really make you move in other movement patterns. Yeah. I would say the same thing. And, you know, it, I just had a flashback to when my husband and I 21 years ago <laughs> spent three months on a bike um, of 4,300 miles across the country. And, you know, I was, I remember so purposely thinking change position. I mean, it was, some of it is just natural. I, you know, you want to like sit, but I think that's the other thing is make sure as much as possible that you change your gears or, or make it a little bit more drag so you can get off, get out of the seat that you, if you're using, um, if you can use clips, they're great because they give you the pull action um, that is hard to get if you don't have the clips. You get a lot of push down that front, um, all the muscles in the front of the leg, but pulling is just going to have more of a, you know, balanced effect. And um, just doing things, yeah, that like if you're on the bike for a while, opening up your chest, you know, as long, especially if you're indoor, you don't have to worry about balancing, but just getting up and countering it, even when you're on the bike, in addition to what Kristen's saying, everything she said, absolutely do. And then when you're biking itself, make sure that you find some different positions so that you're also targeting different muscles when you're on that. All right. I think that's it for today. Well, we've got many more and we'll, we'll come back next week for more. Thank you for joining me, honey. You're welcome. I love and, it. Yeah. Thank you all for joining Kristen and myself. And as always, I'm pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.